Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is Brad Constantine, and today's discussion, or this lesson, or whatever you want to call it, is uh, 2 Nephi chapter 26. So, as you notice in the uh, scriptures, uh, in the headings, it talks about the time frame here, that this is between 559 and 545 B.C., which makes Nephi somewhere between 57 years old and 71 years old. So, he's not a youngster anymore. Uh, this is after lots of things have happened to the Nephites, and uh, lots of time has gone by. This particular uh, chapter is about a lot of prophecies about um, the Savior's coming to them, and and uh, lots of things about uh, about what to expect, and so why don't we get into this. So chapter 26, verse 1. And after Christ shall have risen from the dead, he shall show himself unto you, my children, meaning he's going to come among the Nephites, and my beloved brethren, and the words which he shall speak unto you shall be the law which he shall do. So he's going to do away with the law of Moses, and he's going to teach the gospel of Christ, which is the law that they should be doing. For behold, I say unto you that I have beheld that many generations shall pass away, and there shall be great wars and contentions among my people. He's talking now about the time um, after Christ, after the peaceful period of time when uh, when they start warring against each other again. Uh, verse 3, And after the Messiah shall come, there shall be signs given unto my people of his birth, which will be the, the night and the day uh, without darkness, and so it'll be when the new star appears, that's the sign of his birth that he's talking about, and also of his death and resurrection, and that will be the destruction and the earthquakes that will occur on the American continent at least, uh, which will be the sign of his death. And great and terrible shall that day be unto the wicked, for they shall perish, and they perish because they cast out the prophets and the saints, and stone them and slay them. It's interesting that uh, as they're casting out the prophets, they're casting out the righteous people, they're casting out the very people that could save them. That if they had righteous people among them, they probably wouldn't be destroyed. But they're getting rid of that safety net that they could have had, had they not kicked everybody out or killed the prophets and the saints. Wherefore, the cry of the blood of the saints shall ascend up to God from the ground against them. Wherefore, all those who are proud and that do wickedly, the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, for they shall be as stubble. And they that kill the prophets and the saints, the depths of the earth shall swallow them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and mountains shall cover them, and whirlwinds shall carry them away, and buildings shall fall upon them, and crush them to pieces, and grind them to powder. So these are prophecies about the destruction that's going to happen after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, or up to his resurrection. Uh, verse 6, And they shall be visited with thunderings and lightnings and earthquakes and all manner of destructions, for the fire of, my, of the anger of the Lord shall be kindled against them, and they shall be as stubble, and the day that cometh shall consume them, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, anytime they talk about the, that they shall be as stubble, in ancient times when they would harvest the grain, they would cut down the stalks of grain and leave just the the stubble or the remaining remaining part of the plant in the ground, and then later on uh, they would go around and burn that stubble up, <clears throat> so that they could then plant uh, the next round of crops in the air in that in that in that ground. So the stubble is the the leftover um, plant that's not usable anymore, 
It's just the part that's left in the ground. Verse 7, O oh, the pain and the anguish of my soul for the loss of the slain of my people. For I, Nephi, have seen it, and it well nigh consumeth me before the presence of the Lord. But I must cry unto my God, thy ways are just. So the burden that Nephi has here is that he sees the destruction and vision of his people, and it really bothers him. But behold, the righteous that hearken unto the words of the prophets and destroy them not, but look forward unto Christ with steadfastness. For the signs which are given, notwithstanding all persecution, behold, they are they which shall not perish. And this is a promise for us today, not just among the Nephites, but those that are steadfastly looking for the signs of Jesus' second coming will also not perish at the second coming, that they'll be prepared for it and uh, withstand it. And that the day of the second coming is called, called the great and terrible day, great for the righteous, terrible for the wicked. Verse 9, But the Son of Righteousness shall appear unto them, and he shall heal them, and they shall have peace with him until three generations shall have passed away. And that's roughly around 300 years that he's talking about. And many of the fourth generation shall have passed away in righteousness. And when these things have passed away, a speedy destruction cometh unto my people. For notwithstanding the pains of my soul, I have seen it. Wherefore, I know that it shall come to pass, and they set themselves for naught. For for the reward of their pride and their foolishness, they shall reap destruction. For because they yield unto the devil and choose works of darkness rather than light, therefore they must go down to hell. For the Spirit of the Lord will not always strive with man. Pride is the enemy of God and the, and the root of all sins. And so that's what they're doing. So the, the Spirit, meaning the Spirit of um, the, the light of Christ will not always strive with man, is what he's saying, because they never had the Holy Ghost. So it's not the Holy Ghost that uh, is leaving them, it's the light of Christ. And when the Spirit ceaseth, ceaseth to strive with man, then cometh speedy destruction. And this grieveth my soul. So Nephi's just really upset because of what he's seen in this vision. Elder Boyd K. Packer made this comment years ago. He said, the world is spiraling downward at an ever-quickening pace. I am sorry to tell you that it will not get better. I know of nothing in the history of the church or in the history of the world to compare with our present circumstances. Nothing happened in Sodom and Gomorrah which exceeds in wickedness and depravity that surrounds us now. At Sodom and Gomorrah, these things were localized. Now they are spread across the world and they are among us. So Elder Packer here is saying that things aren't going to get better uh, until the Lord comes. Verse 12, and as I spake concerning the convincing of the Jews, the Nephites use the word Jew in a broad sense, meaning Israel, that Jesus is the very Christ. The very purpose of the Book of Mormon is to testify that Jesus is the Christ. It must needs be that the Gentiles be convinced also that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, and that he manifesteth himself unto all those who believe in him by the power of the Holy Ghost. Yea, unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, working mighty miracles, signs, and wonders among the children of men according to their faith. But behold, I prophesy unto you concerning the last days, concerning the days when the Lord God shall bring these things forth unto the children of men. So now he's going to turn and look at our day. He's seen his day and those that uh, are his descendants on the American continent. Uh, but now he's going to take a look at us uh, and see what he sees here. Also notice in verse 13 that God is manifesting himself to every nation. So he's he does he, he's calling everyone to repentance. It's not just for a few and it's not just for the the Latter-day Saints, he's trying to get everyone to repent. Verse 15, After my seed and the seed of my brethren shall have dwindled in unbelief and shall have been smitten by the Gentiles, he's giving us here the timeline and when this is going to come about. Yea, after the Lord shall have camped against them round about, 
and, ha and shall have laid siege against them with a mount and raised forts against them. Notice when uh, the Americans were surrounding uh, the Indians in the, on the American continent that they would use forts for their protection. Uh, here's the prophecy that that's happening. So this again is showing us the timing and when these things are going to happen. And after they shall have been brought down low in the dust, and again here they're, he's talking about um, uh, the Book of Mormon coming forth. Isaiah, or Nephi is actually quoting from Isaiah here. Uh, and Isaiah 29, 4 says, And thou shalt be brought down and shalt speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust, and thy voice shall be as of one that hath a familiar spirit out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. When he mentions, well, we'll get down to 16, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Even that they are not, yet the words of the righteous shall be, shall be written, and the prayers of the faithful shall be heard, and all those who have dwindled in unbelief shall not be forgotten. For those who shall be destroyed shall speak unto them out of the ground, again, the Book of Mormon, and their speech shall be low out of the dust, and their voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit. Now when he says familiar spirit, what he's saying here is that the Book of Mormon is going to sound very much like the Bible. And the language that Joseph Smith chose to use the, for the translation of the Bible is very similar, or the Book of Mormon is very similar to what the Bible sounds like. So that's why the Book of Mormon is going to sound familiar or have a familiar spirit. For the Lord God will give unto him power that he may whisper concerning them, even as it were out of the ground, and their speech shall whisper out of the dust. Daniel Ledlow said, A careful reading of this scripture, particularly when read together with Nephi's explanation, would indicate that the term, it hath a familiar spirit, means that this record, the Book of Mormon, would speak with a familiar voice to those who already have the Bible. In other words, Nephi is evidently saying here that the doctrinal teachings of the Book of Mormon would seem familiar to people who already had read and accepted the Bible. So even the teachings that are found in the, in the Book of Mormon will sound familiar to those that are familiar with the Bible. Verse 17, For thus saith the Lord God, They shall write the things which shall be done among them, and they shall be written and sealed up in a book. And those who have dwindled in unbelief shall not have them, for they seek to destroy the things of God. So this is telling us that parts of the Book of Mormon will be sealed and not to be opened. Wherefore, as those who have been destroyed have been destroyed speedily, and the multitude of their terrible ones shall be as chaff that passeth away, yea, thus saith the Lord God, it shall be at an instant suddenly. And it shall come to pass that those who have dwindled in unbelief shall be smitten by the hand of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are lifted up in the pride of their eyes, and have stumbled because of the greatness of their stumbling block, that they have built up many churches. The stumbling block that the Gentiles have is their, their wealth and riches, that they don't need anything else. The idea has spread that since there are so many churches on the earth, they must all be good. This is actually a source of their not being able to find the true church. Nevertheless, they put down the power and miracles of God. People will not believe in the ministering of angels or of miracles in our day. And preach up unto, up unto themselves their own wisdom and their own learning, that they may get gain and grind upon the face of the poor. Again, that's a phrase out of the book of Isaiah. The number of different churches in society is inversely proportional to the knowledge of truth. The increase of churches opens the door to a proliferation of false doctrines and the shared impotence of ecumenism. Further, the union of the unlimited that further, the union of the unilluminated results in reliance upon the arm of flesh and the mind of man. Those who study to be learned in regard to matters of faith and religion while rejecting the reality of revelation and modern revelators find themselves turning to naturalistic explanations for the works and wonders of the Almighty. And that's from Doctrinal Commentary of the Book of Mormon. 
21, and there are many churches built up with, with which cause envyings and strifes and malice. And there are also secret combinations, even as in times of old, according to the combinations of the devil. For he is the founder of all these things, yea, the founder of murder and works of darkness, yea, and he leadeth them by the neck with a flaxen cord until he bindeth them with his strong cords forever. Remember that flaxen cord is very uh, a very light cord, but if you keep wrapping it uh, around and around and around, it becomes so strong that you can't break it. So it's uh, Satan's uh, cunning devices is so subtle that before you know it, you're trapped. And 22, and there, all, and there are also secret combinations, even as in times of old, according to the combinations. Oh, I just read that. Verse 23, For behold, my beloved brethren, I say unto you that the Lord God worketh not in darkness. Elder McConkie said, I desire to counsel the Latter-day Saints to take an affirmative, wholesome attitude toward world and national conditions, to turn their backs on everything that is evil and destructive, to look for that which is good and edifying in all things. In view of all that prevails in the world, it might be easy to center our attention on negative or evil things. I am fully aware of the divine decree to be actively engaged in a good cause. The issue, I think, is not what we should do, but how we should do it. And I maintain that the most beneficial and productive thing which Latter-day Saints can do to strengthen every good and proper cause is to live and teach the principles of the everlasting gospel. We must cease to find fault and look for good in government and in the world. We must take an affirmative, wholesome approach to all things. Back to verse 24. He doeth not anything, save it be for the benefit of the world. For he loveth the world, even that he layeth down his own life, that he may draw all men unto him. Wherefore he commandeth none, that they should not partake of his salvation. God's purpose is to save all who will be saved. It is an article of our faith that all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. No person was promised in premortality eternal life on an, un on an unconditional basis, and likewise no soul was condemned as reprobate before the foundations of the earth were laid. And that's Joseph Smith. 25. Behold, doth he cry unto any, saying, Depart from me? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. But he saith, Come unto me, all ye ends of the earth, buy milk and honey without price and without money. Elder Mary G. Romney said, uh, when earth life is over and things appear in their true perspective, we shall more clear, clearly see and realize what the Lord and his prophets have repeatedly told us, that the fruits of the gospel are the only objectives worthy of life's full efforts. Their possessor obtains true wealth, wealth in the Lord's view of values. I conceive the blessings of the gospel <coughs> to be of such inestimable worth that the price of them must be very exacting. And if I correctly understand what the Lord has said on the subject, it is, it is. The price, however, is within the reach of us all, because it is not to be paid in money, nor in any of this world's goods, but in righteous living. What is required is wholehearted devotion to the gospel and unreserved allegiance to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. A half-hearted performance is not enough. 26. Behold, hath he commanded any that they should depart out of the synagogues or out of the houses of worship? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. Hath he commanded any that they should not partake of his salvation? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. But he hath given it free for all men, and he hath commanded his people that they should persuade all men to repentance. Behold, hath the Lord commanded any that they should not partake of his goodness? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. But all men are privileged to the one like unto the other, and none are forbidden. He commandeth that there should not there should be no priestcrafts, and for behold, priestcrafts are that men preach and set themselves up for a light unto the world, that they may get gain and praise of the world, but they seek not the welfare of Zion. 
Hugh Nibley said, priestcrafts are that men preach and set themselves up for a light unto the world that they may get gain and praise. That's very interesting when he says they seek not the welfare of Zion. He's talking about somebody who is in Zion, in that case, who sets himself up for a light and wants to get gain and praise. Um, Elder McConkie says, priesthood <clears throat> and priestcraft are two opposites. One is of God, the other of the devil. When ministers claim but do not possess the priesthood, when they set themselves up as lights to their congregations but do not preach the pure and full gospel, <clears throat> when their interest is in gaining personal popularity and financial gain rather than in caring for the poor and ministering to the wants and needs of their fellow men, they are engaged in a greater or lesser degree in the practice of priestcraft. Apostasy is born of priestcraft. And that was from Bruce R. McConkie. Uh, back to the scriptures, verse 30. Behold, the Lord hath forbidden this thing, wherefore the Lord God hath given a commandment that all men should have charity, which charity is love. The antidote to priestcraft is charity. The only desire in service should be to build up the kingdom of God, and except they should have charity, they were nothing. Wherefore, if they should have charity, they would not suffer the labor in Zion to perish. Elder McConkie said, Above all the attributes of godliness and perfection, charity is the one most devoutly to be desired. Charity is more than love, far more. It is everlasting love, perfect love, the pure love of Christ, which endureth forever. It is love so centered in righteousness that the possessor has no aim or desire except for the eternal welfare of his own soul and the souls of those around him. Verse 31, But the laborer in Zion shall labor for Zion. For if they labor for money, they shall perish. And again, the, the Lord God hath commanded that men should not murder that they should not lie, that they should not steal, that they should not take the name of the Lord their God in vain, that they should not envy, that they should not have that they should not have malice, that they should not contend one with another, that they should not commit whoredoms, and that they should do none of these things, for whoso doeth them shall perish. For none of these iniquities come of the Lord, for he doeth that which is good among the children of men, and he doeth nothing save it be plain unto the children of men, and he inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness. And he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female. And he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. So that's the end of the chapter. But I want to go through some things here about the prophecies about the coming of Christ. Um, and just go through a list of them and then give you the verse that says that or shows that it was fulfilled. Uh, first of all, and this is out of chapter 26 that we just read. Christ shall show himself to the Nephites. That's 3 Nephi chapter 11. There would be great wars between the Nephites and Lamanites. Mormon chapter 1 verse 8. The Nephites would be shown signs of Christ's birth, death, and resurrection. That's several in 3 Nephi chapter 1, chapter 8, and chapter 19 through 20 and chapter 23. I got that wrong. Uh, it's chapter 8 of 3 Nephi, verses 3, 19 to 20 and 23, not chapters, but verse. At the time of Christ's death, there should be there will be terrible destructions and the wicked would perish. And the fulfillment of that is 3 Nephi 8, 5 to 25. The righteous who look forward to Christ would not perish in the destruction at the time of his death. 3 Nephi 10, 12 to 13. There would be a great period of peace in America after Christ's coming, 4th Nephi. The Nephites would be destroyed shortly after the fourth generation following Christ's visit to America, Mormon 8, verse 7. The descendants of the Book of Mormon peoples would dwindle in unbelief after the destruction of the Nephite nation. That's Mormon chapter 8, verses 8 to 10. The Gentiles would suffer more from pride and would stumble spiritually. There would be many churches built up causing envying, strife, and malice. And that's Joseph Smith history, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 to 6. 
there would be secret combinations, Doctrine and Covenants 42:65. The Book of Mormon would be delivered to an unlearned man, the Prophet Joseph Smith. That's Joseph Smith History, uh, verse 50. Three witnesses and a few others would see the plates concerning uh, the record of the Nephites. This is these are now in chapter 27. Uh, that's Doctrine and Covenants 5, 11, and 17. God would command that some of the unsealed portion of the Book of Mormon be delivered to the learned. That's Joseph Smith History, uh, verses 63 and 64. The learned man would ask for the plates to translate them. Uh, Joseph Smith History, 65. And then learned man would say he could not read the sealed book. And that's the uh, same verse. So I just wanted to go through some of the prophecies that are in both chapters 26 and 27 and give you the reference to their fulfillment, just because I thought that might be interesting for you. Uh, anyway, I know that this is true and that our as we um, study more of the Book of Mormon and understand the prophecies therein, that we can benefit from that and see how this applies to us, that we need to be prepared for the Lord's second coming, um, and which will be not that far in the distant future. I bear testimony to the truthfulness of these things and say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you like this, you can share it and um, invite your friends to listen. Thanks. Bye.